all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. School is now back in session, and with that comes many different stressors for our kids and teens. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, some of the different stressors that our children may experience, um, such as how to determine if your child is has ADHD, both at school and at home, talking about anxiety, depression, and anything else that you may have questions about. We would love to hear from you, so give us a call and share your comments and questions with us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So I have my friend, Dr. Tommy Skelton, on with us. He is also a MedPeds doctor at UMMC, and we work together. And so I brought him on to kind of help us talk about some of the different topics that our kids and stressors that our kids may be experiencing now that school is back in session. I think pretty much every school is back in session now. There's a there's a few school districts that haven't started just yet, but we'll be starting next week as far as I know. So we know a lot of different stressors are happening um, for our adults as well. <laughs> I, um, I'm currently in quarantine, not because I have COVID, but because I've had a COVID contact. So I am doing this for my house right now. So hopefully my dogs won't start barking during the middle of the session. And if I, if they do, I apologize in advance. Uh, but thank you, Dr. Skelton, for coming on with us today so that we can talk about all the different stressors that we're experiencing as adults, but especially our kids are experiencing as they go back to school. Thanks for having me. So we thought we would start by talking about ADHD because that's a, a big topic um, and a lot of concerns that parents have. And a lot of the symptoms of ADHD are just common symptoms that young kids have, being hyperactive, not paying attention well. Um, and so we see that a lot with our three and four-year-olds. And we'll have parents come into clinic and ask us, are their children ADHD at three years old? Well, probably not. That's probably just a typical toddler. But as your kid starts going to school, especially kindergarten, first grade, they're going to have a lot more structure that they're going to have to follow in their classroom. They're going to have to be still. They're going to have to pay attention. And this is typically the time that we can see if they have ADHD or not, because a lot of kids are going to outgrow those symptoms that they saw at three and four. But children with ADHD, they're not going to outgrow those symptoms when they get to kindergarten and first grade. So, Dr. Skelton, tell us a little bit about some of those symptoms that teachers may notice or parents as homeschoolers, um, especially during this time of virtual learning, some of the different things that they may notice in their children that could point their attention to maybe their child has ADHD. 
Absolutely. So the important thing to know about ADHD is that everybody thinks of quote unquote kids who have ADHD as these rambunctious, overactive, hyper kids. But there's actually three different types of ADHD that we talk about or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, the first is the inattentive or it's the impulsive and hyperactive type. And that's the one that's usually a little easier to spot. So these are kids that kind of don't like to be put in a box. So they don't like to sit in their seat. They get up uh, in class, go to the bathroom just to get out of their seats. They're fidgety, squirmy. They blurt out the answer real quick as soon as the teacher asks it. Um, and they, in general, can get known as the uh, class clown sometimes. Um, and these are all behaviors that all kids have, like you said. But these are behaviors that are disruptive to their learning, disruptive to other kids' learning, and kind of disrupted to the classroom environment. Uh, the other half of the coin is one that's a little more subtle and one we tend to see a little bit more in the girls is the inattentive type. So these are the kids who are heads are in a cloud, they're staring off, uh, they never seem to be listening. They're really it's really hard to keep them on task. It's really hard to get them to do their homework and to kind of stick with a task. And then the third one is just a combination of both of those things. Um, and kids can go all the way across the spectrum of these. It can be the quiet kid who never really pays attention, who gets upset easily, all the way to the class clown who doesn't get good grades. And combined typically is the most common type what we see, especially in our early age kids. Yes, and the other thing to notice about this disorder is it's like I've said, every kid has these kind of behaviors, but it's a matter of whether these behaviors affect their learning and affect their functioning in society. So everybody's going to get excited. Everybody will get a little bit fidgety, especially your little kids. You know, everybody knows the, the toddler who just seems like a little bouncy ball pinging off the walls. But as you said, they tend to outgrow these symptoms. And as they get into class, they're able to sit, focus, do well in school. Um, obviously, some, some kids are better at math. Some kids are better at reading. But in general, they'll pick a subject that they're good at and kind of go along with it. Uh, kids with ADHD are kind of by definition impaired by these symptoms. So they have trouble learning, their grades decline, they can't they have trouble getting along with other kids in school. Yeah. So we're talking today about back to school stressors, um, including how to decide if your child potentially could have ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, as well as going to get into some about anxiety and depression that our children are experiencing as they're heading back to school and how to recognize that. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So a lot of times I have questions from patients about how do I know if my child has ADHD? Like, how do we test for that? Um, and it's hard to explain, but there's really not a true test for that. Uh, you know, there's some different things that we can do, but it's more of a clinical diagnosis. It's not like diabetes where we can check your blood work and say, oh, you for sure have diabetes or high blood pressure where we have a specific number and goals that we try to go by for to get your blood pressure to a level. So ADHD can be a little tricky. Um, and so it depends a lot on the opinion of people who are around your child, both parents, um, teachers, different administrators, uh, 
care providers for your child. Um, and like Dr. Skelton said, how it interacts, I mean, how it interferes with the child's everyday life, both at school and at home. So can you tell us a little bit about if you have concerns that your child may have, have ADHD and you bring them to the doctor, what we as pediatricians would do for your child? Sure. So as with any um, process of medical decision making, the first is get the story. And that's all the things that we've talked about. So what are the symptoms that you're concerned about? How does he, you know, what have the teachers noticed? What have they had concerns about? And one of the crucial questions we ask is, are we having these troubles at school, at home, or both? Because we also, uh, for the diagnosis of ADHD, really have to see them impaired in more than one setting. A lot of the time, if you have a kid in just one setting that they're not doing well, it's something about the setting itself they're having trouble with. So don't get along with a teacher, don't get along with a fellow student, something like that, something distracting in the class. But if you're impaired at home, i.e. doing homework, as well as at school, getting poor grades, that's when we start to think about it. And so once we have that bug in our mind um, and we've started asking those questions, usually the first thing we'll do is we'll get the opinions of the teachers, principals, as well as the parents and kind of compare them. Uh, there's a few standardized rating scales that we use. The one we use in our clinic is the Vanderbilt scale, but there's a few. Um, and these are basically a checklist of symptoms and how often that they're seen in the child. So we usually hand out some of those symptoms or some of those sheets to the parent as well as to a couple of their teachers who know them well to fill out. And then based on those, we can either say, well, maybe this is just happening at home. Maybe this is just happening at school. Or if we see them at both, uh, in both places, we'll kind of go further down the diagnostic pathway. And the good thing about the screening tools is it's also some of the questions in there are more looking for behavioral problems, too, which is nice because it helps us know. Um, and when I say behavioral problems, kind of mood disorders as well is what I mean. So oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder. Um, anxiety. There are some questions about being anxious in there as well. So it helps us kind of, based off of all of those questions, decide is this a behavioral ADHD problem or is this more of a mood disorder, conduct disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, because it helps us under better understand where the child is coming from and why they're behaving this way. Um, because not every kid who can't acts out has ADHD, which I feel like sometimes, unfortunately, children get labeled as that when there could be something else underlying. And so that's why it's so important to make sure you talk to your pediatrician about that so they can help you sort out those symptoms to determine is this truly ADHD or is this some underlying disorder as well. So those those forms that Dr. Skelton were talking about are very, very helpful. Um, and if you're a teacher, you've probably filled some of those out before. So because uh, we we send those out a lot. I mean, uh, multiple times a week in my hand in those forms out so that people can can get those filled out by their teachers. So we're going to continue our talks about ADHD, and then we're also going to get into some of anxiety and depression, which a lot of times can go hand in hand with ADHD. So if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. So please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And we'll be back after a quick break. 
Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about back-to-school stressors, uh, talking about how to recognize ADHD, if your child potentially could have ADHD, and what to do about that. And now we're going to talk a little bit about how to treat that um, and what we can do as pediatricians with medications, but we're also going to talk about different behavioral therapies and modifications that you can do, because that tends to be one of the more important things that a lot of people forget about. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and depression, because those a lot of times can go hand in hand with our children with ADHD. Uh, and I think a lot of adults are experiencing that as well right now. So we're going to talk about some coping mechanisms, how to recognize that as well. We've got Dr. Tommy Skelton on with us. He was also a MedPeds physician at UMMC, and he is helping us with those discussions. If you have any questions or some comments, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So just a, a little recap of what we talked about before the break, in case you missed it. Uh, ADHD, we know, can have different types. They can have inattention types. They can also have hyperactivity or impulsivity type. And then the most common is some type of combination of those. And so if your child is in school uh, and your teacher has noticed some different changes that could be affecting the way that they are learning, and you've made some changes at home as well, because like Dr. Skelton said, you have to have it in more than one environment. We want it to be happening both at school as well as at home to truly diagnose ADHD. Uh, what we would do is we would get you to come to the pediatrician's office. We would give you some screening tools that both you and the teachers would fill out, as you as a parent or grandparent would fill out, as well as the teacher would fill out. And that helps us decide if this is truly ADHD or is this some kind of underlying disorder, uh, in particular, a mood disorder or conduct disorder. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about treatment for ADHD. Uh, so I think, you know, first and foremost, the first thing that comes to people's mind is medicating the children. And that is one of the biggest hesitations that and hurdles that we see as uh, pediatricians and physicians taking care of ADHD is a lot of times people don't want to start their children own medicines, which is totally understandable um, and uh, and reasonable. We, as doctors, I always say, 
Contrary to popular belief, we don't want to give you medicines if we don't have to. I know most people don't believe that, but we really don't. Um, so we can talk a little bit about medications really quickly, but then we also want to get into the different behavioral therapies and modifications that you can do at home and at school, because those are just as important, if not more important. So, Dr. Skelton, tell us a little bit about the types of medicines, um, just briefly, that we can use to treat ADHD. Sure thing. So, there's two big categories of medications that we use for this disorder. Uh, the category that everyone knows of are the stimulant medications. So, these are things like Vyvanse, Ritalin, um, and those kinds. So, those work by it almost helps jumpstart the brain to make those connections that help you think more closely. It always seemed a little um, unintuitive to me when I was first learning about ADHD and stimulants that why would you give a hyperactive kid a stimulant? Uh, but actually it's a matter of the wires in the brain are not connected in the right place or the neurochemistry is just a bit off. So those stimulant medications actually help kids form those connections to say, oh, I need to pay attention to this. Oh, this is really interesting to me and I just didn't have the enough focus to see that before. Uh, so those are those medications. We watch those for side effects, bad appetite, stomach upset, uh, all of which is the reason why you come back and see your doctor when we start you on them. The other big category is the non-stimulants. So these are things like 10X or guanfacine you may have heard of. They work a little bit differently. Um, there's two subclasses in the non-stimulant genre that we use a lot. Um, these tend to work uh, much like stimulants. They're in general, as classes, a little bit less effective, but if you have bad symptoms with the stimulants or you're not willing to put them on those or you have concerns about them, these are medicines that do help. Yeah, and a lot of times people, the stimulant medications, people are so hesitant because of the side effects of those medicines. Um, and they are pretty significant side effects, potentially. Now, not everybody experiences them, but some of the potential side effects are decreased appetite. Some kids end up losing weight with that because it does affect their appetite so much. Um, sleep problems insomnia. I feel like that's another big one. And so a lot of times we can give you, uh, you can try just over-the-counter melatonin, which is a natural sleep medicine. Or sometimes we have to add combination stimulant and a non-stimulant medicine that you would take at nighttime to help with those side effects. Um, and then we also know it can raise your blood pressure. If you have an underlying tick disorder, a lot of times it can make those symptoms worse. So a lot of times we have to outweigh just with every medicine that we use, uh, the benefits versus the side effects of it. And a lot of times, sometimes the side effects are, are bad enough that we have to stop the medication. Sometimes they're manageable and there's other things that we can do to help with those side effects because you get such good results with the medication. So as pediatricians and internal medicine with some of my uh, adult patients, we see patients regularly every three to four months so that we can closely monitor for those side effects with medications. You know, we just don't hand out those medicines and, um, you know, not see you back for another year. We watch you really closely with those medications. So if your child gets put on a medicine or grandchild gets put on a medicine, get ready to come to the doctor because you're going to be coming pretty frequently about every three to four months so that we can check in on those side effects. Because if you have ever had a child or grandchild with this um, and these medicines, and it's also similar to like our antidepressant medications that we're going to talk about in a little bit. 
there's so many types, so many different medications in that class of medicines, and they're all tweaked just a little bit differently so that everybody responds differently to the medicine. So what works for me may not work for Tommy, may not work for Jay, but we could find out which medication is going to work best for you. And so it takes, sometimes you got to be a little patient to help us uh, with us to help us find the right medication and the right dose for your child. Um, but we can do that. That's why we see you back so frequently. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew how closely we monitor people if we were to start those medicines. Um, we've got a so we will go to Rick, who is in Jackson. Good morning, Rick. What's going on today? Well, I just wanted to know, is there a difference between ADD and ADHD? And if so, is there a different treatment? So that's a good question. It, it's really just kind of semantics. So the DSM, which is our our guideline for psychiatric diagnoses, it's constantly updated. It's kind of like autism spectrum disorder. So we don't, we don't label children as Asperger's anymore. Everything is just autism spectrum disorder. And it's kind of the same with ADHD. They kind of took away the term attention deficit disorder, just ADD, and everything is under ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then you just have those three types. So uh, mostly inattentive, mostly hyperactive or combined. So what we think about with the ADD or attention deficit is going to be the ADHD inattentive type. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I've got a granddaughter who I'm pretty sure is ADHD, but I think her parents fail to recognize it, and I think that's a problem we have. I know when I was growing up, I'm an undiagnosed ADHD, but I'm pretty sure I am, and I, feel right. I, I, I see the same symptoms in my granddaughter and um, just doesn't seem to be recognized. Yeah, and, I, you know, you're not alone. Um, in my practice, since I take care of adults and pediatrics, I, I have some whole families that I take care of, and so we can see that. I've had some grandparents come to me and say, you know that they've got ADHD, but their parents just don't want to recognize it. And and so sometimes that can be hard. And so I would just recommend, I always tell people to just to continue the discussions because you don't want to be too aggressive and, and pointing out that to the parents. But if you can try to have some open discussions with about it and let them kind of come to that realization, or you could potentially even help maybe them reach out to their teacher you know, their child's teacher, you could encourage them to, well, maybe you don't trust my opinion, but may have you talked to their teacher about it? Because uh, unfortunately, we, we see that a lot. Other people recognize it, but it's, it's harder for the parents to accept it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for your call, Rick. We appreciate that. We're talking today about ADHD. We're going to get into anxiety, depression, but if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So yeah, Rick brought up a good point with, um, it's hard as a grandparent if you see your child struggling with this. Like I said, I unfortunately have seen that happen with just some of the families I take care of. And it, it puts you in a sticky situation, and especially if you 
if you recognize it, it's, it's hard for the parents. So just encourage, try to have open discussions about it. Um, encourage them to talk to other people so you don't, they don't feel like it's just your opinion that they're hearing. Uh, Dr. Skelton, do you have any other tips that you share with families? Uh, you know, I always tell folks that the more uh, more opinions in the room can be very useful. That's one of the fun things about taking care of adults and kids is we get to compare and contrast different guidelines or recommendations and how kids and adults are different. Um, it, when I see this, which I don't see it super often, but uh, you've been doing this longer than me, usually I see that the parents have just kind of tolerated the symptoms long enough. And it's like, oh, that's just Billy. He can't sit still or that's Susie. She doesn't always pay attention. Um, they kind of get used to it, and so you lose that half of the trouble at home and trouble at school thing. Uh, and so sometimes it takes some gentle prodding of, have you noticed she does this? Did your teacher say that they do this? Um, and you can kind of help people realize that, oh, that has been going on, and it's like the rock in your shoe. You just didn't really notice it, but now it's really obvious. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about... Uh, behavioral therapy and maybe some of the different things that you can try at home or you can ask your teacher to try with your child at school. Mm -hmm. So the especially with uh, some of our kids learning at home uh, over the last what feels like 10 years but I guess it's only been six months or so. Um, what you really want your kid if you are concerned that they have ADHD or especially if they have been diagnosed with it is you want to set them up for success. So when you're at home, if you're doing virtual learning, um, have that happen in a designated space. It doesn't have to be their own room, um, but it can be a corner of the dining room with stuff cleared away, just a desk, textbooks, laptop, and things to write with. So remove distractions, remove other things. Um, and so that's something you can do at home. What we ask a lot of our teachers to do is a lot of the same thing. Uh, putting the kids at the front of the class so they can kind of, when teachers see that they're straying off tasks, they can say, ask them a question or have them re-engage. Uh, there are the Mississippi public schools, Mississippi private schools are required to work with uh, teachers and work with students when they have these kind of problems. So there's plans that they're required to implement, special accommodations, extra time for tests, um, individualized learning in a separate classroom, that kind of thing. Um, and then one of the most helpful tools we have in the arsenal to treat ADHD is behavioral therapy. So there's kind of, I tell people that medicines work for ADHD, therapy works for ADHD, but the combination of those two things together works way better than either one alone. And so we are fortunate to have uh, pediatric psychologists who can sit down with your child, who can kind of pick through what do we really have trouble with. They can help us work through all those DSM criteria and help us say with a little more, uh, a little more definition, yes, this is ADHD, and it's one of the three types. Um, the other very helpful thing they can do is they also screen for learning disorders. Learning disorders, things like dyslexia, trouble with reading, trouble with numbers, are very, very common in our patients with ADHD. Um, there are some times where the learning disorder itself is causing the symptoms of ADHD because they're just so frustrated they're having trouble reading that they stare off or don't want to do their work. So they help us tremendously in diagnosing these learning disorders. And so when you treat all of those issues that you uncover, you'll find the kids do so much better than if you just slapped them on a medicine and said, hey, come see me next year.
And uh, the nice thing about behavior therapy is a lot of times it includes the entire family. So parents can come to the sessions as well. So getting the parents on board with the different changes and so that they can reinforce what the children learn in therapy. Because, you know, if you've ever done any types of therapy, whether it be physical therapy or behavioral therapy, if you don't continue it at home, then you lose it. So it's very important uh, that with the behavioral therapy that the parents go to that as well so that they can reinforce all the things that the children are learning during their therapy sessions. We're going to take our quick break. Uh, Lisa, we're going to get to you right after the break if you wouldn't mind hanging on the line. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And we'll be back after a quick break. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We have been talking about ADHD and some of the different treatments and therapies as well as how to diagnose it. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. We're going to start talking about anxiety, so if you have any questions about that, we would love to hear from you. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So now we'll go to Lisa, who has been holding on, and we appreciate that. Hey, Lisa. Hi. I just wanted to make a comment. Um and I know the previous caller had a concern. So as a parent of a child that has ADHD, um, I just wanted to say that parents shouldn't be afraid of children with ADHD. My son, um, we started noticing symptoms whenever he was very young. And in kindergarten, we were working with his teacher, and we tried different methods. And uh, so our last resort, um, you know, after trying various things, was to go to a doctor. And we did put him on medication. And um, in, like, May of his kindergarten year, he came home one day and told me he had got 10 French fries and got a, a prize. 
and I didn't even know what French fries were. I was like, what is that? And then he explained it to me that he had been on good behavior for like a week or so, and so he earned French fries. And, you know, I just started crying because I thought all year long my child had never been good enough to get a prize. So, um, you know, that, that was very rewarding. And then whenever he started first grade, he told me, Mom, I'm as smart as these other kids. And, you know, it's it's the self-esteem that, you know, he got out of taking the medication because he could sit still. He wasn't, you know, the clown in the class anymore. And, um, and he made really good grades all through school. He went to college. He's working now. He graduated a year ago. And he's still on medication. So it was a combination of working with the teachers, working with the doctors, and having a structured environment at home. And he, it's, it's just been really good. So that's, you know, I just wanted to tell parents that they shouldn't be afraid of putting their children on medication and working with the physicians. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing that story because um, I think that's very encouraging to parents out there because I know that is always a big hesitation and it's scary to put your child on any medicine. But like you said, it, it's so great to see them succeed. And I, that's one of my favorite things in clinic is when we do put a child on ADHD medications and the child has hated school and then they get on medicines, they're able to succeed in school because they're able to concentrate and to hear them come back and tell me how much they enjoy school now, or I got student of the week this week. Um, or like you said, the different prizes that you're child got because he was able to behave and sit still in class like it's such it's so rewarding and it's so awesome to see how well the medicines can work and it can make your child a different child in that they enjoy school they succeed at school and so thank you so much for sharing that story I really appreciate it you're welcome and I I never was ashamed of him having ADHD I mean I've told numerous people about him having ADHD so it's just like hey, I have asthma or I have something else. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, uh, something that he has. So um, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'm very proud of him. A hundred percent. Yes, it is. It is. And like Dr. Skelton was saying, the reason these medications work in the children is because there is some imbalance there, some neural hormonal imbalance, and those medications help with that. And so it's nothing, it's out of their control. Like you said, it's just like asthma. It's just like high blood pressure that you need a medication for. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. So we're talking today about some of the different stressors that can come along with school for our children. And we've been talking a lot about ADHD. If you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And I appreciate Lisa sharing her story because it it is is so um, satisfying and Uh, rewarding when you see the children's come back uh, and they like school again you know Uh, because when they're when they can't concentrate and they don't make good grades it's frustrating for the kid and it can make them feel down about themselves so getting on the medication treating the ADHD whether that be by medicine or with therapies or with both hopefully um, it seeing 
them change is just amazing. It's, it's great. So, mm -hmm. um, so we're going to kind of transition from ADHD, but if you have any questions, you can always call us and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other stressors that we see in our kids at school is starting to go back to school. Um, and that is anxiety. Uh, I think we're all kind of suffering from that right now <laughs> during, uh, this 2020 with, the. um, COVID, obviously, and all the racial tension and the hurricanes that are happening. And I heard something last night on the news about an asteroid that's coming potentially in November. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just... There, California's it's something, on fire. California's on fire. There's something new every day in 2020. Um, so we're all experiencing that, uh, even as adults. But our kids going back to school in the midst of a pandemic, um, we know that they're also experiencing anxiety. And so kids in general having anxiety related to everything, school, um, just at being around their peers, all kinds of different things can stimulate anxiety. But we know school is the big one. And so that's what we're going to try to focus about. And the reason we wanted to talk in particular about um, anxiety and depression is because we know a lot of children with ADHD also have coexisting conditions. Um, some of the things, some of the statistics I saw is that about 18% of children with ADHD will have a mood disorder. Um, a lot of times we think of that as depression. And up to 35% of children with ADHD will also have anxiety. So that's like one in three children with ADHD will have anxiety. So it's very important to make sure that we're treating the ADHD. But we also want to be looking for are there other coexisting conditions. So that's why we're going to focus a little bit about anxiety because it is so common with our children with ADHD and just our children in general. Um, so like we said, you know, anxiety can be related to all different kinds of things. It can be related to um, school um, and some of the expectations that come along with school, having pressure to succeed. It's anxiety related to the world around us, like we talked about. <laughs> uh, everybody is experiencing that right now, I feel like. Social media is another big thing that our children experience anxiety about and trying to make sure that they stay connected uh, but it also affects their self-esteem as well, which can lead to further anxiety. So um, our kids these days are dealing with a lot of different stress, a lot of stress that we didn't always have to deal with. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have to worry. I don't remember ever worrying about school shootings. Um, that thought never crossed my mind when I went to school when I was growing up. But now we see violence, unfortunately, so often that our kids have to think about this. They have to do drills at school to be prepared if there was a school shooting. Lots of different fears that, that we did not have to deal with when we were growing up. Um, and so it's important to make sure as adults and as parents, as grandparents, that we recognize that we're living in a different world and that there are lots of stressors in our kids that could be related to anxiety. Um, so, Dr. Skelton, tell us a little bit about some of the signs that parents can look for for kids experiencing anxiety, because they're probably not going to tell you, hey, mom, I'm anxious. Um, so it's things that as parents um, and grandparents that we need to be able to recognize in our kids. So what are some of the things that they may notice? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the uh, the difficult things about anxiety and depression in kids and teenagers is they don't show the same sort of things that we do. And when one of us is anxious, we worry a lot, we 
we'll reach out to our support person and kind of come, you know, not complain, but try and work through these things or you'll have a lot of trouble going out. Um, kids in general, they, they just show things differently. So everybody knows the stereotype of the moody teenager, don't want to hug his mom, doesn't want to, you know, go hang out with his friends. He just wants to, when he gets home, he eats a snack and then goes and holds up in his room to play Fortnite or other video games du jour. Um, and some of that is normal teenage behavior, normal, wanting to create some separation and some independence. But there's also a lot of overlap with kids who just don't have a good way of understanding their feelings and verbalizing that they feel anxious because they may not recognize that emotion. Uh, they may not have talked through that with you before. They may not feel comfortable um, talking through that with their friends, with you. Um, so you'll see things like grades starting to decline, appetite getting worse, sleep getting worse. Sleep in kids is always a, an interesting topic. Um, and poor sleep can be related to anxiety. It can be related to depression. Um, you can see them pulling away from the things they used to love. You know, last year they were the quarterback on the football team. Now they say they don't want to do that this year or not wanting to go to dance, not wanting to cheer. Um, and then pulling away from the people in the friendships that they used to be strengthened by that they used to enjoy. So if, if your kid doesn't come home and hug you every day, you know, that breaks your heart. But if they're also not wanting to hang out with their best friends if they're not wanting to go to the after-school stuff they used to love, uh, that's when you should kind of have your radar up. And the first thing you should do is try and talk about it. You know, sometimes kids feel like they don't have that one person in their life that they can vent to. And sometimes that person, they have one, but it's not somebody in the house. They may have their very best friend that they tell everything to, but they just don't feel comfortable talking to authority figures. So I would encourage you to... Try and figure out who your kid's support person is. Try and be that person if you can. And start working through these emotions with your kids. Right. Um, one other thing, too, about symptoms of anxiety uh, or depression as well is they have true what we call somatic complaints too. So you may notice that your child's complaining about a headache every morning or maybe your child's complaining about a stomach ache or you notice they're having issues with like having to go to the bathroom all the time or different things like that you know like they the way stress and different mood disorders impact our body can have true physical symptoms as well so it's very important to look for that too so just a lot of the behavioral things like dr skelton was saying um but also if you notice a lot of physical complaints that your child has never really been a complainer about things but now they're complaining about a tummy ache all the time um that's definitely something to kind of pique your interest as well we're going to take our last quick break and then we're going to continue talking about anxiety and also talk a little bit about depression. But we've got some time left. So if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464.
Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens at MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today about some of the different stressors with going back to school. Uh, we talked a lot about ADHD with how to recognize and treat that. And now we're talking a little bit about anxiety and depression as well. We've got a little bit of time left. So if you have any questions or some comments or maybe some experiences that you've had with, with yourself or with your children or grandchildren, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 877 so we talked a lot uh, before the break about anxiety. Um, depression is also a big common finding in our children with ADHD and just unfortunately children in general, so much so that the AAP, which is the Academy American Academy of Pediatrics, has recommended that we actually start screening all children at age 12 for depression. So when your child comes in for a checkup, when they start turning 12, you know, we always ask our parents to step out of the room because we do our quote unquote sex, drugs and rock and roll talk. That's what I call it, where you have to counsel the children on alcohol and smoking and all the different things. But we also screen them for depression during that time, which I don't know that a lot of parents know that. Um, so it's very important that uh, we there's two quick that we ask um, it's part of our PHQ-9 screening. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but it's just a series of nine questions that we ask that kind of lets us know if someone is experiencing depression. And what we do as pediatricians, we just ask them the first two um, questions in that screening, which are basically, you know, have you are you feeling down and depressed? Um, and like how often that's happening. And then if they screen positive for that, then we'll ask further questions about that. But we take depression very seriously uh, because it is unfortunately on the rise. And we know that uh, teen suicide is also on the rise. And a lot of times those go hand in hand. So some of the symptoms Dr. Skelton mentioned earlier about anxiety kind of go hand in hand with depression as well. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're trying to recognize those. So, you know, yes, teenagers can be moody and that can be very typical of a teenager. But um, as I always stress on here, it's important to make sure that you're having that open communication with your children so that you can recognize, is this just normal teenager moodiness or is there something else going on? So real quickly, in the last few minutes, uh, let's talk about how we treat anxiety and depression. So if you recognize this in your child or in your grandchild, um, or maybe your child is at the pediatrician and they screen positive for depression, what are we going to do as a pediatrician um, for anxiety and depression in our teenagers? Mm -hmm. And this may sound familiar to our treatment for ADHD, but there are Three major treatments for uh, depression, they are medication, therapy, and both. And of course, when you combine medication with therapy, you get a much greater effect than either one alone. Um, this is definitely something that I like to 
you obviously you want to sit down with your doctor and pick through the things that are bothering your child and talk with your child and see if you can identify the reason why they're depressed because there's a lot of times that there's one thing that really bothers them that they just haven't found the the outlet for or the way to deal with it um, and most of my patients, actually all of my patients that uh, have symptoms of depression and anxiety, I ask them to see a counselor, see a psychologist, somebody who has experience and has the time to sit down with you, spend an hour, two hours, and work through the things that bother you. And even more importantly than that is work through the way that you react to things. So much of therapy is figuring out how you cope with stress and how you cope with those negative feelings and finding a better way or identifying the good ways that you have to deal with it. Uh, so I encourage all of my patients who are showing signs of depression to go uh, talk to a counselor. And then there are some patients who, if you do counseling and they find that one person they really click with, that's all they need. Um, they learn those skills, those, self, those coping skills. They bring that back to their quote-unquote real life, and then they do great. Uh, for those that need a little extra help, and I'm glad you brought up the point of um, kids having these symptoms like headaches and belly aches. Um, I'm always surprised when people don't, when folks are surprised by it because the brain's wired to everything. So if the chemistry in the brain's not working like it should, then why should we be surprised that that's showing up as headaches and sleeping too much and belly aches. Um, so for those people whom counseling helps but is not quite getting to them to where they need to be, uh, there are medications. Um, you've heard of the antidepressants. There's several big categories of them. They all work by changing the neurotransmitters, the chemical signaling molecules in your brain. And um, they tend to work very well. The, mo the biggest caution you have to have with them is that they take time. Right. And I think that's something for people. It's a depression is not like a blood pressure medicine where we can bring it down quickly or bring your sugar down. It's going to take time. And so is the counseling. But, you know, usually within about a month or so, we can get the symptoms a lot better controlled. So um, there's lots of resources out there. You can always email us. I'm happy to connect you or talk to your doctor about it uh, so that you can make sure that you get your kid connected if there are some, you have some concerns for anxiety, depression, or ADHD. Thank you so much, Dr. Skelton, for coming on and talking with us. I think these are important topics and hopefully um, people will be able to recognize these more in their family members. Uh, this has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Thank you, Jay, for engineering it. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.